for someone to say that they're sorry. Welcome to Arnie Geddon. I'm Cam Smith. And I'm Tony G. And we're here this time to take on a movie every one of you has been eagerly awaiting. We've gotten your letters. We've gotten your emails. We've gotten your tweets and all of those Friendster messages. Yep. Tony? We've passed you in the streets. <laughs> we've passed other people in the streets. They're all whispering the same thing. The same movie crosses their lips. Junior. <laughs> No, that movie is Aftermath. Yes, Aftermath, a movie that we have brought up, I think, quite a few times on the podcast since its inception, really, and yet we've never done it, and we've put it off and off and off and off for no good reason. Well, (laughs) I guess there was actually a good reason. Now, one of us watched this movie way back in the day, way back in the glorious year of 2017, am I right? That's correct. And you were not eager to quickly rewatch it to do this podcast, correct? That's also correct. Okay. So before we, you know, get into the year that was 2017 and all that, Tony, I want to know, you watched this movie back in 2017. What were your thoughts at the time? I thought, geez, that was uh, really not a very uplifting movie. <laughs> Bit of a slog. Right. Uh, interesting to see Arnold Schwarzenegger not uh, kicking doors down and that kind of thing were you excited to watch it like was it one that you were eagerly seeking out or did it just kind of pop into your you know mind when you were picking out movies to watch no i was excited to see it at the time i mean it is post heyday arnold uh it's right in that period where he's doing things like maggie yeah uh i think actually this is i i don't have it up in front of me but um this is right after maggie i think which was 26 15 yep i'm not incorrect and sandwiched between the two terminators i guess he also had killing gunther in the middle which was i believe 2017 yeah same year as aftermath yeah yeah so uh you know these lesser films but a little bit of a different arnold uh i'd watched maggie before this and we talked a little bit about that on our maggie episode ages and ages ago it seems it's just interesting to see arnold doing something a little bit different so i was excited to see that um, but this movie was, it's not really my kind of movie, if I'm being honest with you, Cam. <laughs> and did you know going in that it was not your type of movie or something maybe a little more downbeat than you were used to? Well, I didn't think it was going to be grenades and giant Bowie knives and explosions. Right. I knew it would be like a little bit more subdued. I just didn't know how subdued <laughs> it was going to be. Right. And... That is the theme of this movie is subdual. Right. Okay, well, before I get into, you know, my thoughts after watching it now. The aftermath. The aftermath of aftermath. Let's talk about the year of 2017. We already covered it in um, the Killing Gunther episode, so I'm not going to go super in-depth. You can listen to that episode if you want to hear us talk more about the year of 2017. But uh, aftermath was released that year. It had a budget of $10.5 million dollars. And it was released in seven uh, seven areas, um, and it made eight hundred and forty one thousand dollars. 
It was released in Bulgaria, Slovenia, Lithuania, Spain, Russia, China, and the United Arab Emirates. So not really a wide release, but it was never really intended to have a wide release. What? This was supposed to go up against Star Wars. <laughs> this is a movie that clearly falls into that category of aging star driving the release of a movie direct to video, or in this case, video on demand. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. Um, so the box office year, um, obviously with $841,000, it really didn't enter into the do domestic top 10 at all, considering it didn't even play domestically. Uh, but uh, number one, you had Star Wars Episode Eight: The Last Jedi. Very underrated, I think. Number two, Beauty and the Beast, the remake. Number three, Wonder Woman. Number four, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Number five, Spider-Man Homecoming. Number six, It. Number seven, Thor Ragnarok. Number eight, Despicable Me 3. Number nine, Logan. And number ten, The Fate of the Furious. Wow, so maybe if they'd called this... You know, Marvel Presents Aftermath, it would have had a little bit of a better shot. Or just call it Avengers Aftermath. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so this movie came out, as you said, in 2017. And I was looking at the year that was 2017. I think we need to have a little bit of a conversation about Arnold Schwarzenegger's year of 2017. <laughs> Uh-oh. Because I'm looking at his four major credits for that year. And he did Killing Gunther, Aftermath. Wonders of the C3D, which was, you know, given an international release at that point. It didn't come here till later. Right. Uh, played some film festivals. And his one season of Celebrity Apprentice, which really went down in flames. So, like... Well, he was busy. We can say that. He was definitely busy. But not a single one of these credits get, led to anything good. I would agree with that. But what do you make of that? Because... We are really much seeing Arnold a little bit in career freefall in 2017, more so than any other year. Like, he maybe had Maggie in 2015, which didn't perform great, but hey, Terminator Genesis came out that same year and did a lot internationally, at least. Like, it always seemed like Arnold was at least coasting okay. But 2017 was a really bad year. Well, we'll put it this way, is all of those projects were not successes. None of them were. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, but when you look at Arnold's involvement in them or Arnold's performance in them, can you say the same thing? Sort of. <laughs> <laughs> well, I take a look at something like Maggie, right, which was clearly a departure yeah. fr from form for Arnold. And you got to get a sense in Aftermath, he's doing more of the same. He's getting involved in passion projects by doing uh, this Wonders of the Sea 3D. And for all that Killing Gunther wasn't a very good movie, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger's scenes in it were actually pretty good, weren't they? They were. They were. He was the total highlight of that movie by a long stretch. And this was 2017. We're only in 2020. Uh, I think that uh, Dark Fate and that uh, Protein movie we did last time. <laughs> <laughs> um, what was it called? What was that documentary called? It's already, the, the Game Changers. The Game Changers, right. It's already fallen out of my mind. And I think we're not far enough removed from these performances to know if something good is going to come out of them eventually. Like, is Arnold going to take another spin at a dramatic role? Well, I mean, I would like to see him try again on a project that deserved him. That's what I would really like to see. Because I find it just kind of weird that um, he was really just, like, gambling his talents on projects that really had really not, not a lot of hope of going anywhere. Why do you say that? Well, which ones do you think had a shot at 
really going somewhere. Like they all feel like they really are almost made for that uh, online streaming world. Like they do not feel like movies that would even appeal to an art house crowd. You don't think uh, Aftermath might appeal to an art house crowd? No, I don't. <laughs> There's a lot of dark tones. We'll get to Aftermath in a bit. <laughs> I'm trying to avoid it. Yeah. Okay, so Aftermath is kind of an interesting movie, though, in that when I was looking at it on paper, I couldn't figure out why Arnold made this movie. Because you look at the director. It was directed by Elliot Lester, who's only done a few things. Um, he used to do music videos. Mm-hmm. So he did music videos for Selena Gomez, Hilary Duff, Jessica Simpson, Avril Lavigne, Our Canadian Treasure. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's done a couple movies. He did, uh, I haven't heard, really heard of these, Nightingale, Sleepwalker. But he did do the Jason Statham direct-to-video movie Blitz. Did you ever see that? Which I never saw, no. Yeah, so it's like, okay, this guy does not seem like someone who could necessarily take this sort of like low-key, downbeat, kind of moody drama stuff and elevate it. Like he doesn't, mm-hmm. This doesn't seem in his wheelhouse. So then I'm like, okay, well, what about the writer? And that's Javier uh, Goulon. He's got some stuff under his belt. He does. But not a lot. Not a lot. He wrote the movie Enemy, which Denis Villeneuve did, which is actually really good. It's a Jake Gyllenhaal movie. Um, It's pretty surreal in spots. Uh, It's about a guy who finds his doppelganger. And uh, really interesting movie. It's totally worth watching, but it's very weird. And I would say it's honestly more of a testament to the director than to the writer when you watch the movie. Like, it's very much flights of uh, surrealism. Mm Mm-hmm. But um, that movie's cool. But then he also did something called Treading Water, which I never saw or really ever heard of. So I'm going, okay, well... well what about the surrounding cast? Not really. I mean, they're, they're fine. They're, there's nothing bad about them. They're totally reliable utility players in a lot of other movies. Yeah, you see a lot of these faces popping up in a lot of TV shows. Totally. But then I saw one of the producers was Darren Aronofsky. Who, of course, directed uh, the movie Requiem for a Dream, The Wrestler. Um, All feel-good movies. Totally. Uh, Black Swan, uh, Mother. He is definitely one of the visionaries in Hollywood uh, right now. and so He's like the king of depression. He is in a lot of ways, yes. And um, I wonder if he was at some point developing this as an idea for himself and then was like, why would I make this? <laughs> I don't know. But he wound up as a producer on this movie. Schwarzenegger's a producer on this movie. So I'm guessing maybe that was it? The Aronofsky connection? Maybe, but I mean, that's pure speculation. It's total speculation. That's one thing yeah. about a movie like this too, is we, we have the benefit of when we're doing Terminator 2 Judgment Day of having just literally volumes of work by other people to research and read and get get an idea of how these things were made aftermath even though it was just made there's basically nothing out there and in fact it was uh extremely challenging just doing some research separating it out from the 2019 movie the aftermath and also there's a korean movie called aftermath basically Everywhere you go in the world, there's a limited release movie called Aftermath. Yeah, and actually the other uh, movie, The Aftermath, you're talking about with Keira Knightley, was like another box office bomb that no one really remembers either. But uh, yeah, so, um, but I did find a quote from Arnold as to why he did this movie. Okay. And he says, I've done all these action movies. I want to do something different. When I look at my body of work, I always feel like, well, we spent a lot of time setting up shots for great action but not really that much time in character development. I look forward to those type of projects, even though I don't mind doing the others too. I'm very interested in challenging myself, so that's why I chose it. 
Well, that makes sense. I mean, that's pretty much what I would have thought the reason for doing a movie like this would be for him. That seems like the only reason, right? Really? <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe he got his taste of tortured character in Mr. Freeze or, or Maggie. <laughs> maybe. I think in that same interview, they actually asked him about Mr. Freeze. And they said, would you play like a Batman villain again? He's like, I'd love to. He's like, I would love to play another supervillain. <laughs> Why hasn't Marvel hired him for something? Like, you know, even like a supporting role. I think he could be so much fun. Yeah, who knows? It seems weird. Like, they've, you know, obviously locked down Stallone in the Guardians movies. Mm -hmm. I think it would be fun to see Arnold show up as a, uh, you know, cosmic being or something. I mean, that would be pretty much the only appropriate place for him. Maybe, hey, maybe he could come back as the Terminator. Maybe, Dis maybe Disney will buy that property, too. Don't give them any ideas. <laughs> Okay, so we just watched Aftermath, and um, it was an experience, Tony. We had our Domino's pizza <laughs> and settled down for some Aftermath. <laughs> We'd like to thank Domino's again for the web hosting. That's right. Yeah, we're going to see how much mileage we can get out of Domino's web hosting jokes before this podcast has finally run its limp-wristed course. So, Tony, Aftermath, what is it about? Well, and this is usually the point in the episode where I say... Spoiler alert. Right. We're going to start spoiling the movie at this point. Aftermath is about you know, a good-natured, hard-working construction foreman, uh, Roman Melnick, played by Arnold Schwarzenegger, who uh, goes to pick his wife and pregnant daughter up from the airport, only to discover that it has been the plane that they were riding on has been involved in a mid-air collision, and they've both been tragically killed. And this movie follows uh roman as he grieves the loss of his family and also follows the story of jacob the air traffic controller who was responsible for the crash um follows the the impact that this has on their lives and their families uh ultimately leading to a confrontation between the two yeah that's a pretty good sum up so tony revisiting it now what were your thoughts this time they were exactly the same as, <laughs> as before i i mean this is the kind of movie I, I don't dislike this movie the way I might dislike, say, uh, Sabotage, for example. Okay. Um, although it has some parallels there, too. Which, but this movie is not very fun, right? <laughs> you, th this, this movie is exactly what I described. It's following uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger's character, Roman, uh, dealing with the grief of losing his family. He's the Trominator. Yeah. <laughs> I wish this movie had some jokes kind of like that. This it also follows this character Jacob played by Scoot McNary, who's he's also fine. He he does a fine job, but about the impact that this has had on him, he's responsible for killing I think 271 people in a, you know, in an accident. You know, it is truly an accident. He feels horrible about it. It has an impact on his family and yeah, we just get to see these guys' lives fall apart as they try to navigate the bureaucracy of the airline, uh, trying to address its liability. But they spend a lot of time walking around, being morose, visiting graves, lying on couches, arguing with living spouses where those spouses are still alive, and staring at photos of dead spouses where those spouses are dead. And And that's pretty much most of the movie yeah what did, what, what did you think this is the first time for you cam this it is, is so your first time through aftermath what did you think well 
this movie is not horrible. It's like I kind of was almost nervous that this was going to be some sort of like one star travesty, like, you know, see Arnold run or something like that. The movie that for some reason gets brought up the most on this podcast. Well, it's probably the worst one we've seen. It is, yeah. Um, I really just thought it would just be like a shambles of a movie. I think I almost got something more boring than that. Like, this movie is, I mean, for no lack of a better term, really, it's like misery porn. It really <laughs> is. Like, it's about two people going through abject misery, and the movie doesn't really have anything to say about that. Um... Most of the scenes play out exactly the way I expected them to when they began. And uh, there's no attempt to elevate it or really find any meaning beyond the obvious. Um, I, I was just kind of shocked, really, that, you know, I've seen other movies about, for example, like really, you know, brutal grief like this. Like I think of a movie like Ghost Story that David Lowry made, which has a lot of this really moody, um, tough material, but like really tackles it from a unique angle involving like a ghost and to me like at least that movie gives me something to hang on to through the the concept of the movie taking me in directions i would never have imagined or experienced and it makes the actual act of watching the grief more meaningful to me and like actively engaging as a viewer this movie does not do any of that this movie is just like these two guys have terrible terrible lives after this accident and you are going to watch their terrible, terrible lives for 90 minutes, and then the movie will end. You didn't find any of the stuff where there's clear parallels where both of these men, despite being in different circumstances, are, are losing their families. Uh, where the trails of the plains up in the sky, oh, yeah. one at a time, and then occasionally crossing each other, uh, are but reflections of these two characters who never meet each other in real life except through circumstance and misfortune let me put it this way <laughs> they should have named schwarzenegger's character pinocchio because this movie is on the nose <laughs> it is a little on the nose isn't like it? there's nothing below the surface of this movie it's all like just look at the surface level storytelling going on here it's not aspiring to anything greater than that and you know yeah like it has some visual uh, metaphors going on which is Maybe more than you could say for a worse example of a movie like this. You know, maybe the one-star version of this. But it's not insightful. Like, I don't feel like I walk away from this movie with any any sort of uh, sense of discovery greater than I would have found in any other kind of boilerplate movie like this. I think when you're tackling subject matter this serious and this depressing, you need to bring something to it that at least is... Um, a little bit innovative or is at least uh, channeling the viewer's mind in maybe directions that they aren't prepared for because otherwise what is the experience of watching it and then that person goes to their friend and says oh hey I watched this movie Aftermath with Arnold Schwarzenegger oh should I watch it no it's really depressing <laughs> like oh, who, who would you recommend this movie to there is no human being alive I would recommend that they sit down and watch this movie for 90 minutes I mean if you want to watch a drama involving plane crashes watch Alive that movie is actually like really powerful and kind of teaches you the you know the power of the human spirit or at least you know conveys an interesting way or I also think of Paul Greengrass's United 93 which is you know the 9-11 uh, film all set on the plane which in theory is a very depressing subject but that movie leaves you with a real sense of heroism and you know human ingenuity in the face of like 
absolutely no chance of success. Like, those movies give me something, even though they're very, very bleak. You could say the same thing about uh, Passenger 57. Well, that movie did teach me to always bet on black. That's right. Uh, or Snakes on a Plane was another fine, dramatic example. Don't fly with amphibians. <laughs> <laughs> well, before we get too far into where does this movie rank in the plane crash movie pantheon. Sure. Uh, what is it that keeps this movie from being a one-star movie? I think the fact it is told competently. Like, there's nothing about it that, um, you know, you don't uh, feel like it works on a craftsmanship level. Like, this movie is very rudimentary, but it does get its character arcs beginning, middle, to end. I do think, though, it's weird. Like, this movie's 90 minutes, basically, uh, without the credits. And um, it's tracking a significant amount of time. And it often feels compressed to the point where, like, character growth, like, happens over the course of, like, three minutes. I did find there's a point in the movie where it comes up on the screen one year later. Yeah. And we go into the future. They didn't need to put that up there because the time was kind of just bouncing around all over the place. Like, it wasn't really clear how much time had elapsed immediately following the plane crash. These guys go through some horrible things. Yeah. Um, uh, Jake gets murder and killer spray painted on his family home i actually thought that was a pretty um stunning visual i thought the director shot it really well where it really did have like a haunting uh look to it it sure. was it was unsettling sure but what my point is is i have no idea how long it took for that spray paint to go up on the house or whether it was intended to look like they just hadn't bothered to remove it or it, yeah like why wouldn't they paint over it at a certain point well, we don't know. Was this put up days ago or was this put up weeks ago or months ago? Uh, all we know is that at some point, it is in fact one year later. Yeah. And the year later marker is what? Maybe like an hour in, do you think? Probably, yeah. It's about yeah. Two, about the two-thirds mark. <laughs> well, one thing I'll say about this movie is, because I, I agree with you, there's not a lot of depth here. And, and what I was saying earlier, where maybe there are some parallels with Sabotage, or for that matter, Maggie... Uh, is that this is kind of a depressing movie that's made with a certain level of craftsmanship. Like, there's uh, a lot of interesting cinematography. The acting is pretty good. Yeah. R really what it's lacking is, interestingly enough, is like some punch to its direction and some decent writing. Yeah, and maybe a little ambition. Like, just go that extra step. You know, if the audience knows where each scene is going to go, then... Try to find a way to reframe that scene so they don't know where it's going to go. Because there was not a scene in this movie where I didn't know where it was going to go, really. And I mean, like, there's some, I think, really haunting moments. Like, I think one of the best is probably the scene where Arnold Schwarzenegger um, basically goes incognito to the crash site. And, where all the bodies are and all the wreckage from the planes. And he stumbles across his, uh, you know, wife and daughter. Like, I thought that scene, the way it was, like, directed was really powerful and, mm -hmm. like, really unsettling. And I thought Arnold sold it really well. So, like, there's moments like that that I thought genuinely worked. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And I think that that's probably, um, for better or for worse, the most interesting part of this movie, actually. Because everything about this movie can be probably described as serviceable. Yeah. Right? Um, like, you're not horrified by it, but you're not you're not mailing this one into the Academy. 
Um, but I thought that just seeing Arnold Schwarzenegger doing this kind of a role is what kept me interested in the movie for as long as I was. It's true. I mean, I think, though, a little bit of the impact of seeing him do this for me was robbed by the fact that uh, I saw Maggie. And Maggie is very similarly downbeat. Like, it's an Arnold that seems actively on downers throughout the whole movie. And it's also got zombies in it, which just makes you at least a little bit more interested. You could keep wondering if a zombie is going to, you know, pop out of a closet or something like that. But Maggie's a good example, actually, too, because that movie, while depressing, was doing something with its material. Yes, it's a zombie movie, but it's also, under the surface, about a parent dealing with a terminally uh, ill child. Like, there's something to read into it there and a little bit of depth to the material, whereas with Aftermath, there's really not a lot there. So I like I definitely think of the two depressing Arnold dramas, I think Maggie's the better one between Aftermath and that one. Yeah, I'd probably agree with that, actually. Um, I don't think there's actually that much of a difference be between the two. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Maggie just has a little bit of a more interesting concept. We should add, by the way, it'd be a shame not to, that Aftermath is actually based on true events. Yeah. That um, there was, in fact, a... Uh, I mean, they changed the numbers of the flights, but there was, in fact, a mid-air collision in which the spouse of one of the victims went and killed the air traffic controller um, in, in a real-life tragedy. It was the Uberlingen uh, mid-air collision in Germany. It was between uh, Bashkirian Airline Flight 2937 and DHL Flight 611, and it happened on July 1st, 2002. So, there you have it. But, I mean, did you feel like watching the movie... We know that this is grounded in a real-world event. Did it feel like real-world to you when you're watching the movie? Or did it feel a little bit like, um, kind of like elevated Hollywood filmmaking to a certain degree? I didn't really think so. I mean, this movie was played pretty straight. Mm, It was a little slick-looking, though. Parts of it were slick-looking, but, um, I mean, it had, had some of the tropes that you see in characters, like, um, the, the lawyers that they have in this movie who are trying to get roman to sign a release in exchange for i think uh $175,000 basically and yeah. some, and some airline perks i mean these guys are the worst lawyers you could ever hire they're they're the classic hollywood scumbag lawyers of like you know wearing bespoke suits and having no empathy whatsoever these guys are horrible at negotiating they look like those wayne employees that jump the joker in this in the uh elevated train in joker <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, I just actually saw Joker recently. I know exactly what you're talking about. Hopefully you at home do as well. <laughs> they do. That movie, uh, that's a movie that everyone's seen, unlike Aftermath. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I don't know, like, to me, this movie just has this sort of, I don't know, this slickness to it that doesn't serve it well. But I'm glad you brought up the lawyer scene, because a lot of the dialogue scenes in this movie just did not feel very authentic. Like, and that lawyer one is a really strong one where it's just like the scenes feel almost overwritten, but not well written. I guess so. I think, I mean, that scene's pretty egregious in in terms of like, that's not very believable. No airline in a situation like this are going to send in a team of three scumbag lawyers (laughs) uh, and just like throwing releases across the table and saying things like, you know, let me make this more simple for you. Yeah. Like, like three days after this guy's whole family has been killed in a plane crash. Yeah. You know, it just doesn't work that way. Right. 
And uh, what did you think of uh, Scoot McNary's journey through this? Like, he is married to Maggie Grace in this movie. What did you think of the depiction of their marriage? Not very supportive. <laughs> That's the problem. Like, when I talked earlier about this compressed time frame, and, like, we only spend, I don't know, like, maybe an hour with the kind of this post-crash period before we take a leap of a year, and then another leap later. Um... Basically, he's going through a really terrible time after, you know, being at the comm or whatever they call it at the airline control when the accident happens. And we see that this has devastated him. Um, he, he can't really work. He's clinically depressed. Can't get out of bed. He has a total psychic break. Totally. Like, he can't uh, cook eggs. He's trying to serve his son, like, eggs that aren't even, like, cooked. They're basically, like, cracked into a, into a pan I don't even know if he turned the heat on, and then he's trying to serve them as, like, they're done. Yeah. And physically, he looks just washed out, bags under his eyes. Yeah. Um, and his, his... He looks like Joaquin Phoenix in The Joker. <laughs> and his wife is just kind of annoyed by all of this. Well, I, she, like, gets angry very quickly. And we never get those moments with her where we're seeing what she's exactly going through. Like, their depiction of their marriage crumbling happens over the course of, like, five minutes. <laughs> that's right it's kind of like everything's fine uh, and that's the case for both of these guys by the way both jacob and roman in this movie have fantastic lives before all this happens wonderful wonderful lives picturesque like you, idyllic you couldn't ask everyone loves them yep <laughs> they like their jobs they wake up smiling and like giggling every morning <laughs> that's true and then this this happens and i think the next scene that we see of Jacob and Christina's marriage is uh, their son Samuel is outside playing. Christina says, well, where's your dad? And he says, oh, I don't know. I think he's inside. And she goes in to see him uh, just like... In the know, fetal position. In the fetal position with his eyes in the thousand yard stare. Um, and she just looks kind of irritated. And we never get a sense in this 90 minute film that this has been going on for a long time and that they've been trying to work through it, and that things just haven't been working, and she's reaching her limit. She just seems like a, a really unsupportive spouse. And you never really get a really strong portrait of his attempts to deal with this. Like, was he going to therapy? We see one scene with a psychiatrist where he's just, like, yelling at them to give him pills. Were they maybe going as a couple for a while? Was there any sort of efforts there? Like, that's the whole thing. Christina's side of this whole issue is completely ignored by this movie. Yeah, and we don't even know how long that takes because all we know is that there's a period of time that is not one year later. Yeah. And a period of time that is one year later. Right. So maybe it's six months? Maybe it's a year. <laughs> oh, and I should say there's also a period of time that is ten years later. That's also true, yeah. Which is when he gets out of jail. Yeah. And so, like, this whole marriage crumbling thing, I mean... I don't know that it, uh, it just didn't work. It just didn't work is what I should be saying because it's just sped through too quickly. And like I, these two actors, Scoot McNary and Maggie Grace, they're fine. Like I have no issues against them, but uh, they're not exactly given really fleshed out material, you know, the insights into a marriage. Yeah, we, we get to see Scoot McNary and Maggie Grace kind of playing marriage story light, the poor man's marriage story. <laughs> yes. Uh, and, and to be fair, like they both do a pretty good job. They're both obviously very competent actors. Yeah. Um, and yeah, but we just, 
don't really care that much. You're just watching people go down a downward spiral throughout the like duration of the movie. Oh, and I know this is just out of left field here, but to cap it all off, it's Christmas time. That's right. Yeah, it's the may... most joyous time of year. <laughs> well, it used to be. <laughs> it used to be, because <laughs> what is more depressing than something depressing happening at Christmas time? Nothing. Nothing at all. Except maybe Christmas in Connecticut. <laughs> the most depressing thing to ever happen in Christmas. Oops, <laughs> did I say Christmas? I meant April. <laughs> See the uh, Christmas in Connecticut episode for the uh, punchline to that joke. Yeah, although, I mean, should we start going down uh, you know, the pantheon of Arnold Christmas movies? I mean, this is, we've got <laughs> Jingle All the Way. How does this rate? Um, it's still better than Jingle All the Way yeah 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 it's better than jingle all the way and it's still better than christmas in connecticut (laughs) yeah that one's more fun to watch though uh end of days is arguably a christmas movie i think end of days is better yeah oh i don't know um probably but by a hair okay so aftermath then we can agree is a top two arnold schwarzenegger christmas movie which says more about Arnold's choice in Christmas movies than uh, the quality of these movies that are up for the competition. Yeah, yeah. What did you think of like the Arnold character journey versus the Scoot McNary one? I felt like the Scoot McNary journey actually had a lot more given to it. You know, you had these scenes with lawyers as poorly written as they were. You had the marriage. With Schwarzenegger, a lot of it was just him sitting in his house. Uh, he met lawyers as well. Yeah, he did, but it felt like a lot of his journey was just solitary stuff, whereas Scoot McNary got to kind of interact with the larger world a bit more. I guess so. Uh, we will say that Arnold's role here was very subdued, and I don't know if that's um, a function of his range as an actor or more the way he was intending or directed to play this character as someone who's very sparse with their words um, in trauma, who clearly doesn't have uh, a great ability to deal with trauma or emotion on their own. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so a lot of his answers were kind of these monosyllabic, yes, no. How are you doing there, Roman? Good. Yeah, I mean, that worked a lot better for me in Maggie than in this movie. And I think that's just because the the material in Maggie was grabbing me a hell of a lot more than this one. Yeah, but I mean, I don't necessarily think that uh, Jacob and Roman's journeys were that different or that one was particularly more interesting than the other. I mm. thought they were both pretty, you know, as interesting, I guess, as a depressing tandem of stories like that can be. Eh, I felt like the uh, Jacob one grabbed me a little bit more. Just because it felt like, well, maybe because he had other characters to bounce off of more than Schwarzenegger did. Like, and that did help a bit. I don't know. This is pretty bad material. (laughs) Yeah, the reality is, is that you could take Arnold Schwarzenegger or Scoot McNary out and just replace them with another actor in in these cases. And just, it would be effectively the same movie. You could replace Arnold Schwarzenegger with Pierce Brosnan. Sure. And it would be the same movie. The shower scene would be a little different. <laughs> That's right. We do get to see a, an Arnold Schwarzenegger nude scene yeah. and see him joyously brushing his teeth before picking up his family from the airport. Yeah. But yeah, it, it's kind of strange. 
How often do you like to stand nude, like in the shower with the curtain open? Um, I would say never for me. Well, we're really getting into the nitty gritty here, aren't we? <laughs> Are you talking about when he's cleaning himself? <laughs> I, uh, I elect not to answer that question, Cameron. <laughs> for my own benefit and for the benefit of our listeners. Fair enough. Um, so let's just jump to the further point in the movie. Scoot McNary enters, I don't know, it's like the equivalent of like the witness relocation program or something. I think he just moves. <laughs> but they present it in the movie as like this change of life because he has an entirely different name. Yeah, the the greatest fake name in movie history. He's He's gone from being an air traffic controller to a travel agent named... Pat Dealbert. <laughs> like, what a stupid name. <laughs> That's like the kind of name when you're trying to think of a fake name and someone's like, what's your name? And you're just like, my name. And you look around the room and you're like, my name's uh, John Lampson. Norbert Phineas. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a, a very fake sounding name. Pat Dealbert. It's ridiculous. And even his son makes fun of the name. <laughs> yeah, his son probably came up with a name. Yeah, and I don't know. At this point, he's working as a travel agent, which it's funny. I went to an unemployment seminar back in, oh, 2011, and they told us all, like, do not go into the travel agent industry. It's done. <laughs> and this movie's made in 2017. Yeah, I mean, I, I do also wonder if you're really trying to fly under the radar as you know the air traffic controller who killed 271 people is pat dealbert travel agent 100 miles up the road really really gonna do that much for you yeah and there's a scene where he meets up with his wife and he's saying you should quit your job and come move over here and i'm like is he gonna support the whole family on a travel agent's job no offense to travel agents out there but i remember just being told like economically that the travel agent industry is very tough now because obviously so many people book their own trips online now mm -hmm. i don't know it seemed unrealistic to me i can't speak to what the state of the travel <laughs> agency world is like right now fair enough you know i'm running into a problem here cam on this podcast normally i have no end of stuff to talk about and i just don't <laughs> have that here and it's a real it's a problem that we don't normally have because we love talking about arnold schwarzenegger movies um all of my notes that I made while watching this movie are things that I don't actually really want to talk about, and I feel like our listeners probably aren't that interested in. I mean, we can give it a try. It's hard to talk a lot about a movie where it has, like, a long scene of Scoot McNary ingesting pills, and then in real time, throwing them back up on the floor. <laughs> it's like, yep. Yep, I mean, that sums it up. I mean, well, here, what did you think about the scene where... A year has passed, uh, the first and only scene of concrete time passing in this movie, and it turns out that Roman's story of finding his wife's necklace right. in the wreckage... Was it his daughter's necklace? Uh, I think it was the daughter. I can't remember, but it was sure. a pearl necklace, and so they create this monument at the site of the crash, which is basically just, like, pearls. I thought it was, like, giant beach balls or something. Uh, giant stone globes yeah all around this field yeah and then he spends quite a bit of time walking around there and then talks with you know another man who is also grieving and then he starts to cry 
I mean, there's nothing wrong with the performances in this scene, but it's like you said, you know, the two guys get together, they talk about losing their wives, they cry, end of scene. <laughs> like, there's nothing to go from here. It's just like, yeah, okay, there you have it. And then at this point, too, the Arnold Schwarzenegger character, we get a little bit of plot momentum, I suppose, if you want to call it that, where Arnold becomes obsessed with um, having someone apologize to him for what happened. And he has a photo of his wife and daughter and himself as in the photo as well. And he's going around. And he wants people to look at it. He shows it to the douchebag lawyers that we referred to earlier. <laughs> That's a technical term. <laughs> and then he goes on the hunt to find Scoot McNary's character. And enter a journalist. <laughs> That's a lowercase j, heavily quotationed journalist. Spelled J-E-R-N-A-L-Y-S-T. Now, I'm no journalist. In fact, I can probably speak more to the uh, effectiveness of the legal team on this uh, in this film. Yeah. But Cam, you are a journalist. Yes, I did graduate from journalism school. That's correct. Um, yeah, you know what you don't do? Oh, don't sell yourself short. You've worked in the industry for in a number of places. <laughs> on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Covering all your latest Arnie news. Um, yeah, okay, so you know what you don't do as a journalist? You don't give out the names and addresses of your sources to other people you're talking to who may have a grudge against that person. That is what you don't do as a journalist. In fact, you don't give out the names of your sources to anyone except maybe your editor, and that's maybe for fact-checking or clarification. I mean, that sounds right. You're the expert. <laughs> I mean, journalists are very protective of the sources. Often they don't want to give them up at all, period. Uh, it depends on the type of story, obviously. But yeah, like, so yeah, there's this journalist named Tessa who enters the picture, played by Hannah Ware, who is writing a book on the tragedy that uh, that has happened and goes to Schwarzenegger's house and is trying to get him to answer the door. He won't answer, so she just kind of leaves some notes, I guess, for him to look at. She comes back a year down the road and meets with him again. And, uh, you know, she has talked to Scoot McNary's character and he's kind of expressed his grief over the situation. And then she sees Schwarzenegger, and Schwarzenegger wants to know where Jake is. And she tells him. And he says, where does he live? I want his address. And she says, I don't know that I should give this to you. Well, you know what? Okay, here you go. That is not something any journalist would do, especially one that was looking to hold down any sort of job. I feel like this woman may be a uh, journalist self-professed who just wants to write a book to make money. <laughs> Although no, they showed the some of the articles that she wrote. I mean, and they were <laughs> they were on an angel fire. <laughs> <laughs> they were apparently good articles. I mean, uh, Schwarzenegger's character thumbtacked them all over his wall next to uh, <laughs> pictures of him and his family. I, I I did like the touch of them being thumbtacked next to pictures of like young Schwarzenegger. Sure, young Roman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like this is just, like, really bad plotting here. Like, the, Pretty convenient. Yeah, there was a movie, Richard Jewell, that came out that got a lot of flack for its depiction of female journalists. This one is terrible, too. And it's just... It's every, like, bad cliche of how you would portray a journalist and how inept they are often portrayed on screen. This is a really, really terrible example. I, I would agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> I can't speak to her writing skills, but it's certainly not her journalistic ethics that have kept her employed for this long. So because of this whole 
plot mechanic of this terrible journalist. It's hard for me to take anything that comes after this with any sort of, uh, like, gravitas. Like, it's all so badly manipulated by the plot for this to happen. It feels so just... The uh, writers want, the writer wanted X to happen. He couldn't figure out how to do it, so he just created a really lazy mechanic for it to happen. Well, he didn't even need to have it happen. I mean, that's the sad thing here, is that the only reason Jacob leaves town is so that Schwarzenegger can find him. Yeah. Uh, they could have had the scene of him confronting... Uh, of Roman and Jacob confronting each other uh, at Jacob's house. Yeah. Just fine. Yeah. And so ultimately what happens? Uh, ultimately what happens is Roman uh, knocks on Jake's door when unfortunately his family is there. Mm -hmm. uh, he gets a little bit spooked and he leaves the first time, but he comes back, uh, knocks on the door again and uh, confronts him with a picture of his family. And Jacob's character is, understandably, I think, kind of upset. Says, you need to get out of here. You need to, uh, I'm going to call the cops. And uh, Roman gets up and stabs him a couple of times. Jake makes a grab for a gun in a drawer, but he's pretty weakened at this point, And he bleeds out on the floor while Schwarzenegger picks up the photo of his family and then goes and sits down with Jacob's family in exactly the same pose as is in the photograph. That is an artful touch that is so eye-rolling. Like, that is really a director just reaching for artistry in that moment and it falling flat with a thud. I don't know if it fell flat with a thud, but uh, it, was, it was a bit of a muffled thud, we'll call it that. Yeah, and then we get, there's a postscript of Schwarzenegger going to prison... Uh, very briefly, I guess a handful of years pass. And then what happens? Arnold goes to the cemetery and he encounters a young man, Tony. Who could this young man be? Yeah, well, there's only been one other young man in this film. And <laughs> guess what? He had his dad stabbed. <laughs> and now he's out for vengeance. Holds a gun on Schwarzenegger. The two men cry. And we realize that revenge is not the answer. Well, it's because, you know what? Roman turned and he said, I want you to know... That I'm sorry. Someone had apologized. And that's what it took to break this cycle of trauma, death, and violence. And you punctuate that with a colon and a closed parenthesis, because that's a smiley face right there, isn't it? <laughs> no kidding. And it's all offset with a nice droning score of misery underneath it. Oh, yeah. I mean, let's let's get into the score a little bit here. Yeah. Um... Yeah, if you like crying yourself to sleep, the score is amazing. It's by Mark Todd, who's worked on this director's other movies. Um, yeah, it's one of those uh, ambient scores where it's just kind of like these uh, low-key kind of rumbling noises on these on the soundtrack. And you go like, oh yeah, I can feel the misery rolling in again. It's kind of like a poor man's Joker score if you want to do another reference to the Joker. Sure, yeah, yeah. I'm all about Joker uh, references in this movie. <laughs> I don't know. Like, This is the type of movie that's just not fun to talk about, let's be honest. <laughs> well, um, there was one interesting thing that I think we would be remiss not to mention, which is the airline CEO or manager, whoever he is, the guy who calls in Jacob's character to ask him questions and to tell him... Uh, don't talk to anyone about this. Uh, we're gonna. We recommend again that you get some psychological counseling. But uh, you know, clearly has no empathy for anyone involved in this situation. Yeah. 
Um, that was uh, played by Martin Donovan, who was also in Sabotage. Yeah, I mean, he's he's pretty good in this in this movie. I really yeah. actually, he's I thought he was probably one of the best parts of Aftermath. He's just like such a smarmy jerk in this movie. There are some good character actors because Glenn uh, Morshauer shows up as Arnold's boss. He's one of those character actors you've seen in a billion things as well. He's a little weird in this movie. I found that when he showed up, he had some home cooking from his wife to kind of try and comfort Arnold Schwarzenegger. He was talking to Roman like, you know, like he was the crypt keeper in a horror movie. It was, uh, I found it a little bit unsettling. It wasn't very comforting in my mind. <laughs> and you also had a Christopher Darga show up as the grieving man that Schwarzenegger meets at the memorial, who was uh, featured in the movie Carnosaur 2. Just keeping our Carnosaur streak going. Yeah, we've stopped referencing Carnosaur. We were originally referencing Carnosaur quite a lot on Arnie Geddon as a stand-in for bad computer-generated effects. And then I actually went and watched Carnosaur again and realized it was all bad practical effects, and I haven't referenced it since. Until now. <laughs> <laughs> One thing we can talk about, though, Tony, is some Arnold connections in this movie. Because I thought it was very interesting, there are a couple of little nods in the beginning of this movie to the career of Arnold Schwarzenegger. There are, yeah. Um, although I was going to ask you about this. There, there is a scene where he, very early on this in the movie, he says to somebody on the radio on the construction site, you're fired. Yeah. Now, did you take this as a reference to True Lies or to The Apprentice? Ooh, well, The Apprentice is this same year, but he didn't say you're fired on The Apprentice. He said you're terminated. So the you're fired was a Donald Trump thing. So I'm going to say True Lies. Okay, I'll go with it. I still haven't watched The Apprentice, so. Yeah, I think I think it would definitely be True Lies. I mean, I would assume, <laughs> although it seems weird to put a True Lies reference in this movie. <laughs> but then, speaking of weird... There's also a scene where he's driving along listening to Jingle Bells or whatever. And we hear the the lyrics saying Jingle All the Way. And I'm like, really? <laughs> what a weird reference to put into this downbeat, depressing drama. Do you think that was an intentional reference to the movie Jingle All the Way? Because, I mean, that is the lyric to the song. Do you not think it's incredibly coincidental? Arnold Schwarzenegger Christmas movie, and that's the Christmas song they chose. They could have played anything. Like Christmas in Connecticut. They could have played Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer. They could have played anything. But I bet you Jingle All the Way has cheaper royalties. What's the cheapest Christmas or music? Or Jingle Bells, I should say. Not Jingle All the Way. <laughs> what What's the cheapest Christmas song? Um, probably Silent Night. So why not Silent Night then? Or uh, you know any number of Christmas hymns. It is a very old tradition cam oh holy night or whatever it's called yeah put it this way there are a number of hymns hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hymns uh which have a number of different names and lyrics um but i like how you have lumped them all together as oh holy night or whatever it's called <laughs> that's right the other reference i just want to point out at one point scoot mcnary's character is talking uh with maggie grace and there are references to both Batman and Superman. And Scoot McNary was in Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice, just the year before, or maybe two, two years before this movie. So I found that weirdly coincidental as well. You sure that wasn't a reference to uh, Batman and Robin? 
<laughs> oh, I didn't even think about that. That is another Arnold Schwarzenegger connection. Um, I was a little surprised they didn't have a Taken reference for Maggie Grace. <laughs> Although she probably did answer a cell phone at some point. Well, there you go, Cam. So do those scenes put this movie uh, firmly in the Arnold Schwarzenegger canon? I guess, yeah. Well, sure, I'll go with that. Yeah, so I mean, ultimately, like, I just feel like this movie, there's an emptiness to it. And, which is saying something, for a movie that's all just, like, grief and misery for 90 minutes straight, that you walk out just kind of feeling empty. Like, there's this big emotional climax where I should care about Schwarzenegger meeting this young man whose life he's irreparably changed. And I felt nothing. It, the scene played out as, a, you know, as so many scenes. Like, I felt tired. I felt tired, and I knew how the scene was going to end. And it's just like, okay, yep, there you have it. I just think Schwarzenegger, if he's going to do more roles like this, where he wants to play actual characters, which apparently he does want to do, look for scripts that surprise you or, like, bring something new to the table. I just don't know what this script would have ever offered him on when he read it that he thought, this feels like something an audience might appreciate. I don't know. It's just such grim material with, I mean, I've seen this type of story so many times. Mm-hmm. And it's always in this type of movie, you know, uh, a five to twenty million dollar budget, um, a couple of big names who are going to be pretty much what is selling these selling this movie, but maybe the kind of names that can no longer go up on the marquee the way they used to, and you know, a lot of journeyman people involved to just kind of go by the numbers. Yeah, and I think of the producer Darren Aronofsky who directed, like, Requiem for a Dream, which is a very grim movie about a downward spiral of drug addiction by uh, experienced by multiple characters. Look at what that movie's doing visually. Look what it's doing with storytelling. It's not following the template that we all know and uh, have seen a billion times. It's doing its own unique thing, and it has a real sense of, like, visionary um, uh, aesthetics to it, and also just to the storytelling, and, and none of that is brought to this material. This is playing it so straight that it's just like kind of thankless to sit through. So it's a movie that I have a very tough time recommending anyone watch. So, I mean, I don't know. Tony, what are your final thoughts on Aftermath? Uh, I don't know if I'm in the same boat. Certainly, uh, you know, hopefully if you've lasted this long with us, you have watched it yourselves. If you haven't, uh, if you are a big Schwarzenegger fan, and you probably are if you're listening to us talk about Schwarzenegger. And Aftermath. Yeah, it might be worth a watch, if only to see Schwarzenegger um, stretch out his range a little bit in terms of acting. It's not a... I didn't find it a painful movie to sit through. It's no. just It's just kind of not very uplifting. Um, it's got shortness and brevity going for it. We do see some of these movies that go on for, you know, two hours and 12 minutes. Uh, this is a 90-minute in-and-out video-on-demand special, so if you've got a an, an evening to kill, um, you know, you might want to throw it on, but I, it's definitely not a glowing recommendation. I would still say stick with Maggie. If you want to see downbeat Schwarzenegger drama, watch Maggie. I think if you are just that desperate to fill in those gaps in your Schwarzenegger oh, come, filmography, come if you really, you know, just want to see Schwarzenegger in the bleakest of projects... This is the one to watch, but... this you I think you recommended the Jane Mansfield story. No, there's no way I recommended the Jane Mansfield story. <laughs> You're pretty, full of it. We'll have to go back and listen to that episode. I'm pretty sure you recommended the Jane Mansfield story. Um, 
with like a glowing recommendation. I'll say this much. I would probably recommend people watch that more than this. <laughs> that one's at least, uh, you know, zips by pretty quickly. Well, there, I'll disagree with you on that. I, I, I'd rather watch Aftermath than the Jane Mansfield story. I mean, so would I. I'm kind of being sarcastic. But, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I will say I agree with you, though. The brevity does help. It's 90 minutes, so it's got that going for it. But, you know, there's that saying that... Uh, it's a long 90 minutes. <laughs> there's that saying that Roger Ebert had that no great movie is too long and no bad movie is too short. And the fact that we're saying that this one was too sh wasn't short enough at 90 minutes... Doesn't exactly say a lot about the movie. But at least it wasn't too long. That's also true. <laughs> okay. So I think that wraps us up for Aftermath, lest we never speak of it again. Oh, come on. It's <laughs> not that bad. <laughs> oh, Tony, what are we doing next time? Next time we're going to lighten it up a little bit. It's something that we've been meaning to do for a while on this podcast, and which we've done a couple times with some of our other movies, which is... Take a look at movies that are related to Schwarzenegger movies, but may not actually have Schwarzenegger in them. In this case, we want to take a look at the Jason Momoa Conan movie that was released in 2011. Yep. And just take a look at what that movie does with the Conan franchise. We did that a little bit already when we took a look at Call the Conqueror. And there's a lot of similar things here, too, where Schwarzenegger obviously has been on and off attached to a Conan 3 for, what, 35 years now? Yeah. And both Call the Conqueror and this Jason Momoa Conan the Barbarian are um, movies that kind of came out of that development process. And to date, the 2011 Conan is the, the most recent entry in the Conan saga. So it'll be an opportunity for us to... To wrap it up and reflect a little bit on where Conan might be going in the future. Really excited for this one. This is going to be a lot of fun. Okay, you can of course find us on Twitter at ArnieGenPod or email us at ArnieGenPod at gmail.com. We appreciate any reviews you can give us. So wherever you get your podcasts, leave a review and help lift our spirits. Because they're pretty low after watching Aftermath. Uh, yeah, we need uh, quite a few helium balloons in here to pick us up a bit that's right or at least just to breathe in then we'll cheer each other up doing silly voices yeah no planes though <laughs> okay uh tony how do they get hold of you uh you can find me tony g that's tony like the name g like the letter at arniegeddon.com also feel free to check out our website or download us direct from the source www.arniegeddon.com i'm at cam v is in very much done with aftermath smith Okay, so we'll be back with Conan the Barbarian, the remake. There ain't no grave in home, my